We've been looking at three subjects in a series of messages I've entitled Back to the Future, which is basically a, a title that I coined because we're going back to some very basic things, but they all have uh, eternal or forward-looking consequences and opportunities. First, we looked at how to become a Christian. But first, why? Second, we looked at how to become a disciple. But first, we looked at why. Third, we looked at how to become a member of this church. But first, we considered why become a member of any church. These three messages have had a very selected audience to whom they would have great application. In other words, those three subjects would not necessarily apply uh, pointedly at most of the people of this church. To some, yes, but not to all. We come today to the fourth message in the series that I'm preaching. And the fourth one, I believe, is a message and a, and a subject that is applicable to everybody here, for the most part. And that is how to become a mature Christian. But first, why? Why would I want to become mature? Again, to help jumpstart our consideration this morning, the subject this morning, I've asked a, a dear friend and a member of our church who gives off, in my opinion, many indications of being a mature Christian. She may reject that, that concept, but uh, she certainly seems mature to me. And like all of us, she's had her major disappointments and struggles in life. But in my opinion, she's always rebounded with a resilience and an attitude that loudly speak of someone who is a mature Christian. Marianne, would you please come up here and take just a few minutes to, to talk to us? Marianne Fisher, and I'm going to ask Marianne some questions. And I've known Marianne and Bob, I don't know, for a number of years, it seems like. I won't go into how many years because it, it dates both of us. 85. <laughs> 85? That long? Man, time flies. That's 20 years. Let's go over here so that we can use that. Now, you all laugh, but it's not a laughing matter to me, you know. That's so. why I'm senior now. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's been a joy to be able to journey with Marianne over the years. And uh, she lost Bob, when was that, 90? 94. 94. And uh, he died of a heart attack, I believe it was. Heart, heart disease, right. We were undergoing a heart transplant at the time. And, um, and she just has come back and been resilient. And uh, she's had some other difficulties. But, you know, again, just always coming back as a believer. And so I, I'm going to ask her a few questions here, which I think would be helpful if uh, she just sort of give us some insights as to why it is that she's, move to the point of where she is in life and just what's happening. So first of all, looking back over your years of teaching, and she was a teacher here at Stony Brook all those years, what are a couple of thoughts that, uh, that continue to encourage your heart that you might want to share with the congregation about that experience? The, the first thought that I would like to share is the fact that God can use me in spite of all the difficulties, in spite of all the mistakes, in spite of all my stupid decisions, you know. And um, bottom line, I just got tired of handling the, the, the consequences of that. And but through all of that, through all the ministry at Stony Brook, etc., that God still could use me in a very real way. And this was confirmed to me over and over through the fact that... Uh, my passion has always been for God in spite of my mistakes, but my passion is for God. And to, trans, to um, transmit that same passion in the lives of my students. And every year, uh, a handful of those students would really grasp the real meaning of life as opposed to the Southern Orange County mentality, you know, of, of me first. They got it, and what's even more encouraging is the fact that even years later, they've come back and told me how that was a transforming year in their life, and they're still living and walking the walk. And to me, that's heart-thrilling. Two students that she had that have really impact, been, been impacted by her ministry were my two children, Amy and Kate Craig. Second, now that you are retired, what are you hoping to do with the rest of your life, Marianne? <laughs> oh, my goodness. The first thing I'm going to do is spend more time with, with my family, you know, investing the lives of my children. You know, even though we're both within four 
miles within the, the, the most I ever saw them was Sunday morning sitting in the, in the church pew because my life was so busy and their life is busy so now hopefully you know we can I can spend more family time investing the lives investing my life into the life of my grandchildren passing on to them prayerfully the same passion that their parents have and, and that I have as well um, I retired from Stony Brook. I haven't retired from ministry. My passion for kids will still be fulfilled through teaching of Sunday school, hopefully as long as I'm able and as long as Monica will have me. <laughs> and thirdly, a new, a new avenue that, that I am pursuing. Uh, God has really laid a passion on my heart for senior citizens, for the elderly. And this really came to fruition when I was caring for my mother. Uh, in, in her last years and in her, in her dying days and the real need for companionship uh, in that and a real need for uh, she, she just really blossomed spiritually so, so to guide her along that, that line I would like to start with, within our church family and getting to know the seniors that I've desired to know for so many years in, in a more impacted way uh, gleaning from them the wisdom from their experiences so that I can appropriate that into my life and then also uh, visiting those that, that are really in need, those that are lost in the convalescent homes that possibly have no one there, uh, giving them the last, last chance um, of um, salvation, of sharing the gospel with them. And that, that came to uh, the, the, the main heart and the main concern that I have for seniors when I have been visiting the convalescent home where Francis Harmon is for, for the last two years. And there was a gentleman there, and I asked him, you know, uh, did you know about God? He goes, I don't want anything to do with him. Well, here was a gentleman that was on his deathbed, and it crushed me. And I, and I, so I said, you know, he, he's a reality. He, he's real. It's not just a figment of my imagination. He's real. And so I asked him, I said, would you consider uh, just asking God for, for two weeks? I won't bother you for two weeks. I promise you, Jay. You know, I said, but ask God if you're real, show, you, reveal yourself to me. He said, I can do that. I said, okay. I gave him three weeks. And on the third week... He was in a lot of pain, and I just kind of went over to him. I said, hi, Jay, how are you doing? He goes, who are you? I said, I'm an angel sent from God. Well, theologically correct. But I said, I'm an angel sent from God to tell you how much, you know, he loves you. He goes, oh, that's good. I thought, yes, I got an inroad into it. Went back the next week. I thought, okay, I'm going to zero in on him. And he had passed away. So I have no idea, you know, where that's going. So to glean from the Christians for my own life and to witness that last on their last leg. So that's where my heart is. That's where my passion is. That's great. And uh, I know, you know, she doesn't just talk this. She does it. And I've, I've seen her do it over the years, not just starting it now, but it's been something that's been on her heart for a number of years. Third, besides your obvious love for the elderly, what on a spiritual plane drives you to make such a commitment to help them? I say obedience to the Lord, number one, because I firmly believe in Psalm 37, for it's my life first, that he gives us the desires of our heart. That's not what I so choose that I think I want. But he places that desire in me to, to go out and, and to have a genuine love for, for these people. And if, if I'm not obedient to that, I've got nothing. That's so true. And, uh, you know, so many people, particularly in our culture, just, you know, the elderly are just neglected and totally shoveled off to the side and uh, and I really respect the fact that you have a heart for them and I think that it's a good example to the rest of us fourth your ministry in the church your life as a teacher your ambitions for the future and your your sure grasp of biblical truth clearly suggests that you have reached a stage of maturity not an age but in your Christian life what are a couple of major thoughts that have moved you to stay the course and to continue to, as the Apostle Paul says, press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus? First of all, I don't feel that I've reached the mature Christian. I continue to seek. My passion is for God. I, I want to learn more about Him. And you do that through experiences. And sometimes the experiences you go through, I don't like very much. Um, but I've learned to prioritize what's really important. Dishes aren't important. Okay, <laughs> family is. Uh, continue to learn who God is. Uh, 
to submit to him as much as I know how to submit and not to trust myself. I've learned that the hard way. Um, But maturity to me is not by what I do, but how much I trust God. And that's where I'm at. And I know my days are numbered. I know I'm in the last chapter. Um, And I just want to make every, I want my life to count. That's the sign of a mature Christian. (laughs) God bless you, Mary Ann. Becoming a mature Christian does not happen overnight. It is a process involving successes and failures, hardships and heartaches, hard lessons and heartfelt joys, deep valleys, high mountaintops, great teaching, great instruction, but equally great understanding, great wisdom, and great application to our life. And I want to be honest, only a few Christians become mature. Of course, as Marianne was indicating, no one ever becomes perfectly mature until we will see our Lord Jesus Christ face to face one day. And then we're told that we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. But nevertheless, I think the Bible fully intends that some believers, or teaches, that some believers will become mature. In my own life, I remember as a young man, maturity was always that, that issue, and you keep as a thought of as mature. Now, at this point, I'd like to go back, but at that point, you want to go forward, and you want to, to be thought of as mature. And I can recall that one of the greatest insults when I was a teen was for my parents or my sister or a friend to say, Oh, you're so immature. And I know you t- know that's a, sort of a way to stick the knife in and twist it when somebody isn't acting like you think they should. But it always hurt. I wanted to be mature. But it wasn't something I could just turn on or turn off instantly. It was not something I could make happen overnight. I had to pass through many more life experiences and learn from my successes and my failures until I matured into what we call adulthood. It's the same with our Christian experience. The only difference is that my maturity as a Christian is not related so much to my chronological age as it is related to other factors that we're going to look at in just a moment. Many people think that when you make a decision to become a pastor that you're instantly mature. When I decided to serve God with my life, you might have looked at my spiritual age as somewhere around being eight or nine. By the time I made a decision to be a pastor, I still was a long ways for being a mature Christian. Deciding to do one thing or to be involved in one level for the Lord doesn't make us mature. At this point in my life, and I'm just being a little open here, I do have those times, and they are more frequent now, when I am thinking and acting in ways that do indeed reflect the thoughts and actions of my Savior. Times in which I sense I have matured. And I'm always pleased when I see things like that in my life. On the other hand, there are those other times, and they're still frequent, too frequent as far as I'm concerned, in which I'm acting very immature as a Christian. At best, I'm perhaps thinking or acting like I've never read the Bible. And at worst, I may be acting like a real jerk. I mention this not to beat up on myself, but basically to express what I know is true of most everyone here. It seems that as we move forward, if we're moving forward in our Christian life as a disciple, that we're going to have those times when 
we begin to see that we're thinking differently and we're acting differently because Jesus Christ is impacting us. And those times, it's at those times that we're acting more like a mature Christian. But we're also going to continue to struggle with the old life, the old way of doing things. And of course, we reach a, a stage in our life in which most of the time, or a good bit of the time, we're acting mature as Christians. We're bringing forth fruit to maturity, as we'll look at in a moment. But that doesn't mean that we're still not going to have those times when we, we can act like we've never read the Bible. Or we can be sometimes just absolute jerks. How many of you, I shouldn't ask this question, but how many fought with their spouse on the way to church this morning? And maybe you said some things that you knew were just terrible. But then you walked in the door and you saw somebody that it had a good impact on your child during VBS and you walked up to them and you said, I wanted to tell you how much I appreciate what you did for my child in VBS. In one hand, you're acting like a mature Christian. In the other... You're acting like a jerk. Doesn't this happen often? I mean, you can fill in your own illustrations. But it's something that happens. The question is, how can we move on to maturity so that such inconsistencies become the exception instead of the rule for our life? Because when they're the exception instead of the rule, we have moved into that stage in which we're mature. Or to say it in another way, how can we press forward in our drive to grow and become mature Christians? Now, of course, whenever you say that, the first question I always want to ask, and I don't know if you ask it, but I'm asking it anyhow, and that is, you know, why? Why would I want to grow? And become a mature Christian. You know, maybe, maybe it's sort of nice to have this cutesy Christian baby stage. Maybe staying in that is to be preferred to just growing up into a mature Christian. Why press towards such a goal when we already have eternal life through faith in Jesus Christ? We already have heaven. It's a guaranteed deal. Why would I want to move on? I've always marveled at parents whose little children mouth off at them. You know, the little, the little six or seven or eight year old that mother says, don't do this, and he says to her, get lost. I'm not listening to you. And then it's the reaction of the parent which says, you know, isn't he cute? I don't get it. Let me ask you as a parent, and we have a number of parents here, a question. How would you feel if your little child refused to grow up? How would you feel if they just would not move beyond the age of two in their mind and in their actions? Or the age of seven? Or even the age of 15? How would you like your child not to grow beyond the age of teen in the way they think and the way they act. Wouldn't that be a thrilling thing? You know, in the world of parenting, this is not something that's cutesy. It's a tragedy of the first order when children stop maturing and they stay at a certain level. And it does happen in some cases. But even when our children are normal, they can and oftentimes do reject opportunities we parents want to provide for them to help them become productive and experience some of the joys of contributing to the lives of others, especially their own families one day. How many children have dug in their heels and said, I'm not going to take any more music lessons? Or they've dug in their heels and said, I'm not going to summer camp or Awana camp. I'm not even going on a family vacation. I'm 15 years old. My friends are here. I'm not going anywhere. How many young people have refused an opportunity 
to go to college or to which their parents have offered to pay for, to better prepare them to get the most out of their brief life on this earth. How sad when they refuse to press on, at least at some level, toward the opportunities that would enrich their lives. It's like this in God's family as well, friends. You see, our Heavenly Father has big dreams for His children. child of his who has received his life, eternal life, through faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. He has a dream for them. That each one of his children will not possess his gift of eternal life, and that's it. But that they will fully experience all the opportunities and riches and blessings that that eternal life can afford them as a child of God. And that they might grow up and become a mature Christian. Just what are some of those riches and those opportunities and those blessings? And that brings us to the first question today we want to answer. And that why be a mature Christian? We add just from the general teaching of Scripture, three things that specifically seem to relate to passages that deal with Christian growth and maturity. First, a mature Christian is wise beyond his or her years. A mature Christian is wise beyond his or her years. A mature Christian is able to discern and know the mind of God as he or she faces the many problems and challenges of life. I'm going to take you to a passage of Scripture found in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And I've cut a few of the verses out just to shorten things up without hopefully sacrificing the meaning. Here's what we read. The Apostle Paul is speaking. He says, however, we speak wisdom among those who are mature. Yet not the wisdom of this age, nor of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. We speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, hidden wisdom, which God ordained before the ages for our glory which none of the rulers of this age knew, for had they known, they would have not crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, I has not seen nor ear heard, nor has it entered into the heart of him love him. But God has revealed them to us through his Spirit, for the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. Now we have received, not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit of God, that we might know things that have been freely given to us by God. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit, for they are foolishness to him. Neither can he know them, for they are spiritually discerned. They are judged as those without the Spirit. But he who is spiritual, he who is mature in the Spirit, judges all things, yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. Why can he do that? For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Last night my wife was watching Larry King interview the husband of this and family of this woman that uh, is brain dead but carrying a child. And they're keeping her alive until the child's born. And of course there was a lot of some ethical discussion and there was a present and he was doing, uh, uh, trying to explain things. What my marvel at is that, you know, there's a lot of, of ethical dilemmas we face today in our world. But I think the spiritual man, mature Christian, can see through these dilemmas and can make decisions that are wise. And he was giving some wisdom, but I don't think Larry King or the audience got it. I remember when Marianne and was going through the process of deciding whether to allow Bob to have a heart transplant. She was concerned about the ethics of whether to have a transplant or not. And as we talked together, it became clear that Jesus died for us as our substitute, that we might have life. And certainly a transplant would be in keeping with the whole spirit of the Christian faith. That's kind of what I do. 
It's not something to just point to a verse and say it says this. It's an attitude. It's an understanding. It's an appreciation for truth. Mature Christians possess wisdom. Wisdom that flies right over the head of the world. Even the brightest and most gifted natural men and women cannot appreciate such wisdom. Notice again verse 9 from 1 Corinthians 2. But as it is not seen, nor has it, nor ear heard, nor has it entered into the heart of man, the things which God has prepared for those who love Him. Such wisdom and thinking would never have occurred to them, to even the wisest of people among us. The verse also introduces us to the second thing that's said about mature Christians. Why become a mature Christian? Number two, church is able to think out of the a phrase we use today, only the box referred to here is the box of the world. Listen to this passage of Scripture from, first, from Philippians chapter 3. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let us... As many as are mature have this mind. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. I'll stop there. Christian maturity is not measured in terms of the physical. The physical body. That's the way we measure our growth when we're going from adolescence to adulthood or from childhood to adolescence. Christian maturity is not measured in terms of the things we possess or crave even. Christian maturity is measured in terms of our mind. And that is how we think and by how we think and by what we think about. Mature Christians think alike. That is because they have immersed themselves in the words of the Lord Jesus Christ and have come to think like Him. Therefore, they can't think, they can think out of the box that are behind them. The things they once valued. And now they are reaching forward and thinking about those things that are ahead. Notice again what Paul says in this passage when he says, Forgetting those things which are behind, the things we thought were important and we valued, and reaching forward to those things which are ahead things we've now learned about from God's Word and we are embracing in our minds and our hearts, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let us, many of us, as are mature. This isn't something every Christian is going to bite into. But he says, every one of us who's mature in Christ, let us have this mind. Let us think like this. A mature Christian thinks outside the box of this world. He or she thinks beyond this world. The verse also introduces a third thing that stands out about a mature Christian. Why become a mature Christian? Here's a third thing. A mature Christian sees the future. A mature Christian sees the future. A future full of potential and opportunity. A prize. A mature set goals and work hard to win that prize. How many Christians seem continually to see a future full of, of golden streets, heaven, lush green golf courses, shopping malls, and endless concerts in heaven's parks. And probably there will be concerts with contemporary music and concerts for hymns, depending on which side of 60 you're on at this time. A mature Christian sees a much different future. Now, the world sees you strumming a harp on a pink cloud. The world doesn't have a clue. But at least those who become Christians and realize there is a place called heaven, they're thinking in terms, well, what's this place like? It's got golf courses and it's got great roads for riding motorcycles and it's got all this kind of good stuff. But the mature Christian isn't thinking like that. They're thinking about a different kind of future. A mature Christian sees a future in three ways. First, he sees a future full of approval and praise from the Lord Jesus Christ for a life well lived. You think, well, what's so special about that? You think about it. 
A mature Christian knows how much being appreciated and feeling significant means to all people. This is a fundamental thing, and there's nothing. And I know we'll say to ourselves, oh, you don't need to say anything. Don't praise me. Don't thank me. Don't, don't acknowledge that I've done anything. But when somebody comes up to you and has, says to you, I really appreciate what you did, if we're honest, we know that goes right to the heart. It makes our day. The other day I got a phone call from a, an elderly woman who just wanted me to know that someone had sent her a gift and a note and it made her day. Because it was sent as an appreciation. Friends, a mature Christian realizes that there's no greater sense of fulfillment than to hear the words of the Lord Jesus Christ, well done, good and faithful servant. Such appreciation and approval is part of a future that a mature Christian sees. The second thing, a mature Christian sees a future inheritance. They see the true wealth of the world to come. It's not golden streets. It's not lush green golf courses. It's not even the material place of heaven, which is a material place. The true wealth of the world to come is an inheritance. The brothers and sisters who have patiently endured in their devotion to Jesus Christ will share with Him as the firstborn son. And thirdly, a mature Christian sees a future kingdom. And he sees, or she sees, a future kingdom and servant Servant kings whose service is bathed in love, marked by creativity, exercising dominion with a view to holding up before all creation the infinite perfections of our just, holy, and gracious God. I hear people say to me, I don't want to reign with Christ. What's that all about? That's an opportunity, friends, to be the person you were created to be. It means being creative. It means exercising dominion with a purpose. We don't know that kind of thing on this earth very much. But one day we will, we will be fulfilled if we have that future mindset before us. We will have opportunity to experience what we were really created for to the nth degree. Of course, a maturing Christian, like most all Christians, even from the beginning of their Christian life, is deeply overwhelmed by the love of God who sent His only begotten Son to be our Savior that through faith in Him and Him alone we might have eternal life. A mature Christian is overwhelmed by the, the infinite grace of God in Christ who poured out His life for us. But a mature Christian also realizes that the Lord God wants His people to embrace the future and to desire to have all that He wants us to have. I hear people talk about the idea, well, isn't being motivated for rewards selfish? Not if that reward is a reward our Father in Heaven wants us to have. I told my children as they were growing up, I've used this illustration before, but it's a good one. I said, we'd like for you to have a college education. It's something that we would like to give to you if we can and afford it, if we can be provided. But it, to them, when they were eight and nine years old, particularly with my son, school was the, the last thing on earth he wanted. And to think going four more years to school, that's even worse. But there came a point in which even though he never fell in love with school, I don't know that Amy did either, they see and they saw the value of that education. And they embraced that goal, that reward. And when they did, it was a sign they'd become mature. And that's what God is saying. He's saying, it's not like you're being selfish. It's like you're beginning to get His view of life. His picture. And that's what a mature Christian gets. Why would any Christian 
want to become a mature Christian when his or her presence is guaranteed in heaven? I'll tell you why. To be wise beyond our years, to think outside the box of this world, to see the future and all it holds for those who do press on to become mature Christians who think and live like the Lord Jesus Christ. That brings us to the final question here. How can we become mature Christians? How can we press forward in our desire to grow and become mature Christians? The first and perhaps the most fundamental building block of becoming a mature Christian is by providing a noble and good heart for the Word of God. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 15 and 16 says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man or woman of God may be complete, that is, made mature, thoroughly equipped for every good work. James chapter 1, James says, lay, Therefore lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word, like seed it has been planted in your life, in your heart, in your soul. Receive it, and it will save your human lives. It will deliver you from a life of waste into a life that will be worthy of eternal reward. Now, in order to receive with meekness the implanted Word of God, we need to provide the right kind of inner soil in our life. And the Bible speaks about that inner soil being a heart that is both noble and good. If you want to take a look at uh, this next passage, Luke chapter 8. And most of you recall this is the parable of the sower. And I do not plan to expound on this parable, but to bring out a couple of things about it. And when a great multitude had gathered together and they had come to him from every city, he spoke by a parable. A sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some seed fell by the wayside and it was trampled down, and the birds of the air devoured it. Some fell on the rock, and as soon as it sprang up, it withered away because it had lacked moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up with it and it choked, choked it out. But others fell on good ground, sprang up, and yielded a crop a hundredfold. When he had said these things, he cried, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Then his disciples asked him, saying, What does this parable mean? And he said, To you it has been given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but to the rest it has been given in parables, that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. You see, the multitude had no real desire to do what he said or to delight in what he was saying. They were simply there for the dog and pony show. But the disciples were different. They had a desire to understand what he said. They delighted in what he said and they wanted to become mature, to press on to maturity. So they asked him, tell us what it means. This is what he says. Now this is the parable. The seed is the word of God. Though by the wayside are the ones who hear the word of God. Then the devil comes and takes away the word out of their hearts, lest they believe, lest they should believe, and be saved. They never become Christians. That's the first soil. Verse 3. But the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear, receive the word with joy, and these have no root, who believe for a while, and in time of temptation fall away. These are the ones that fail to become or persist as disciples. We looked at that two weeks ago. Now the ones that fell among the thorns are those who, when they have heard, go out and are choked with cares, riches, and pleasures of life and bring no fruit to maturity. These fail to become mature Christians. As we all know well, the number one killer of the desire to become a mature Christian... The one thing that can choke out that desire to bring to maturity a life full of obedience are the cares, the riches, and the pleasures of life. Friends, I know that most of us here this morning would likely not be here if number one and number two soil were true of our heart. 
Most of us here in this church are Christians. Most of us here in this church this morning are also disciples. On the other hand, many of us have likely failed to become mature Christians because of all the cares and the riches and the pleasures which captivate our minds and our hearts here in fantasy land. You know that and I know that. And there's not any of us that has escaped it. But we can To become a mature Christian, our minds and hearts need to become noble and good. Only then will we bring to maturity the fruit of obedience in our lives. Notice how the fourth soil is described in verse 15. But the ones that fell on the good ground are those who, having heard the word with a noble and good heart, keep it and bear fruit with patience. Both of these words, noble and good, are actually, you could actually translate the word good. But in one word, the word that's translated noble, it means good in a sense of upright. And in the other word, it has, means more good in the sense of something you delight in. Now the idea seems to be that a noble heart is a heart desiring to do what is right and pleasing to God. And a good heart is a heart that delights in what God has said. That is the word of God. The key here to hearing, to hearing the word of God is that you delight in it and you desire to do what it says. And naturally, you will do it and keep on doing it, bringing forth the fruit of obedience. You know, it's one thing to be a part of a Bible church and say that we have a heart for God's Word. But it's quite another to actually have a heart for the Word of God. The Hebrew Christians in the Hebrew Bible church would probably said they had a heart for the Word of God, but listen to what the author of the book says about them. After he had been talking to them about Jesus Christ, who was a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Oh, he says, we have much to say and hard to explain. This is one of them toughy messages, you know, that's real deep and nobody really wants to hear it. Since you have become dull of hearing... For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food, for everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age, that is, mature. Those who have, by reason of use, to discern both good and evil. Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection, to maturity, not laying again the foundation. Mature Christians use what they've learned from the Word of God to discern both good and evil as they live out their lives. They know that when it comes to the Word of God, the principle holds, you either use it or you lose it. Furthermore, mature Christians, once they integrate a truth into the foundation, in other words, we all are building, you might call it a, a theological framework. You say, oh, I'm not a theologian. Everybody here is a theologian. If you have thoughts about God, about God, what God has said, about what God thinks, you're a theologian. And you have a theological framework, and the minute you hear some truth, you're plugging that into that framework somewhere. A mature Christian keeps integrating that truth into the foundation, their theological foundation. And once they've learned that truth, they want to move on to new truth. They want to add more and more and more. If you stop, the result will be in due time, you become dull of hearing. In contrast, our mature Christians who have a voracious appetite for the Word of God How can you tell if you have a voracious appetite for the Word of God? Go back to what we were reading there about the parable of the sower. The disciples came and said, Lord, why do you talk to these people in parables? They don't understand parables. Parables are just stories with no point. Or at least it seems like there's no point. And he said, to you it has been given to understand the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but to the rest it is given in parables that seeing they may not see or hearing they may not understand. The Lord knocks people who are dull of hearing, so to speak. He says, those who have a voracious appetite for the Word of God, they ask questions. They come to the Lord and say, Lord, I don't understand this. Tell me what it means. 
They hunger to know what the Word of God means, not just what the words say. Many people are content to just pick up their Bible, do their daily duty, read their Bible, and they don't have a clue what it says. You know that. But the mature Christian says, no, I don't understand this. I'm going to find out an answer. I want to know what this means. That's the difference. A mature Christian listens attentively. They go to church or Bible study or wherever. They're the ones that are listening. You can look in their eyes and you can hear and see they're interacting with you. They're thinking about what is being said. However, their quest is not simply for knowledge about the Bible, but to know Jesus Christ through His Word, to know His mind, to know how He thinks. We don't worship a paper pope, as they say. We worship the Lord Jesus Christ, who's revealed through His Word. As we read in the book of Ephesians, till we all come to the unity of the faith, and of what? The knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect or mature man or woman, to the measure, the stature, the fullness of Christ. So how can we become mature Christians? How can we press forward to, in our desire to grow and become mature? First, by providing a noble and good heart for the Word of God. Second, by the discipline of our body. You say, that seems strange. Well, the Apostle Paul had a lot to say about it. He says, there's the prize. A mature Christian brings his body into subjection and disciplines his body. It, he makes it serve him or her. And he's talking about the physical body. Because that's often our competition, isn't it? Uh, it's time to read the Bible. I'm awfully tired. I just not going to. I'm going to pass on it tonight or to, this morning. I've got too many things to do. I'm not going to take the time to to dig into this and learn this like I should. I've got other things I want to do today. I'm not going to go to church or Sunday school. You see, a mature Christian says, "No, I'm going to make this body." go where God wants it to go and do what God wants it to do. That's what Paul's talking about. I'm not going to go into the passage. We're out of time for that. But I just encourage you to think about it. But that doesn't mean that we accomplish the spiritual... We don't become mature Christians by using the body. We make the body serve us. We make the body... We put the body in subjection but it's not by the flesh that we become mature Christians. It's by the Holy Spirit. That takes us to the third thing. The third thing is by the Holy Spirit. The Apostle Paul says, Are you so foolish, you Galatians? Having begun in the Spirit, are you now made perfect, being made perfect or mature by the flesh? Obviously not. If you're a skier, you know that there's three ways to get up the ski hill. You can climb up with those gross boots. And believe me, when you climb up a, a hill with those ski boots, it's a lot of work. That could typify the person who, you know, is, I'm going to be a mature Christian and I'm going to make it happen. Then there's the person who takes the rope toe. That's the kind of ski lift that you fall off and you fall over and you're constantly trying to struggle and work with the toe that helps you, but at the same time you're trying to do it yourself. That's the Christian that thinks, well, I can rely on the flesh some and I'll have to rely on the spirit some. But personally, when I go to the ski hill, I'd like to get in the chairlift and it takes me to the top and then I can ski down. And that's what the Spirit of God, He's like the chairlift that lifts us forward as believers into a becoming a mature Christian. It's not something that we can make happen. He makes it happen. We're to discipline the flesh. We're not to depend upon the flesh to turn us into mature Christians who think and act like the Lord Jesus Christ. We're to ultimately be depending upon the Holy Spirit who works within us to create the soil of that noble and good heart that will bring forth fruit. But there's a fourth thing. We become mature Christians by patiently enduring the trials of life. James said, Consider it all joy, my brothers, when you fall into various temptations or trials. 
Knowing that the test of your faith produces endurance and let endurance have its perfect result that you can be complete, that is mature, lacking in nothing. Mature Christians stay the course. They don't give up. They don't bail. They keep at it. That doesn't mean they can't change ministries or they can't change duties or responsibilities in the church. I'm talking about that. They stay the course for their Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. How can we become a mature Christian? By providing a noble and good heart for the Word of God, by disciplining our body, by the work of the Holy Spirit, and by patiently enduring the trials of life. But there's one last thing that is vital. And I close with this. Colossians 4.12 We read about a dear saint, servant of the church in Colossae. His name was Epaphras. And it says, Epaphras, Paul writes about Epaphras. He says, Epaphras, who is one of you, he's from your church, a bondservant of Christ, greets you, always laboring fervently for you in prayers. And what is he praying about? That you may stand perfect. We could translate the word mature and complete in all the will of God. I think becoming a mature Christian takes prayer. Friends, it's a worthy, if you're a mom here today, or a dad, it's something you should pray for for your children. Pray that they'll become mature Christians, not just get them over the line. I'm praying that my children will trust Jesus, and once they've trusted Jesus, that's the end of it. He wants, you, he wants to see your children become mature Christians, just like you want to see them become mature, productive adults. As a church, we need to be praying for one another that we become mature Christians. That's the goal and something we should always keep before us. Father, today, I pray that you take these things and strengthen our lives. And help us to become what you want us to be. I confess, Lord, that uh, you're working in my life and I've got a long ways to go. But I thank you that the Spirit of God hasn't given up and I don't intend to give up either. And I thank you for your love pray for each person here that they indeed as well as myself that we might become the mature Christians that you want us to be in Jesus name we pray amen